0: Morning, church. Morning Morning to all of you watching with us online this morning. It's the first Sunday of October. It's beautiful out there. Great to be with you this morning. We are in this series, week three of that uh, that that video introduced, called "Rise and Fall" in the early chapters of the Bible, in the early chapters of Genesis. And this morning, we're back in Genesis chapter 2. We have a copy of the Bible with you on your phone, etc. You can join me as I read these verses. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25, the latter part of this chapter, in a message titled, A Holy Love. A Holy Love. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, To work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame This is, as I've said before um, Last week or the last couple of weeks Genesis 1 and 2 It's really an extended story of creation okay? It's an extended story of creation What you had in Genesis 127 just as a it, it sort of builds up And it, it, it comes to a conclusion ahead At the creation of man and woman But it's just one verse Genesis 127, You know, God created man in his own image Male and female, he created them That's it that's all you get, but you're trying to make this point that this is the crowning achievement. But in Genesis 2, the sort of continuing story of the of the creation, he unpacks this creation, right? No more, you know, details really about the rest of creation. It's really unpacking one verse, the creation of man and woman, now unpacking it because they're the crowning achievement. They're the only ones that are called the image of God. They're the only ones that God breathes into. They in many ways are the point, but now he's going to say something even more about the why of creation, as I said. Genesis 1 and 2 is not so much about the how, it's really about the why of creation. And the why of creation is this. God is launching a community, okay? And it starts with just two people. Yes, we have the covenant of marriage here, but God is launching a community that will represent him and his ways in a world that is at odds with itself, Okay, we have to remember. Sometimes we we think that the Genesis fell out of the sky, you know, at the at the heels of the uh, the front of the Garden of Eden. Right? No, Genesis was written by Moses. If we believe our, our history, it was written by Moses long after these events, given to a people living in the wilderness in a world that was at odds with itself, just like ours. Okay, that's the point. Now, it's typified this new community, right, that God is launching in this chapter, okay? It's typified by the covenant of marriage, and this has been the passage in all of the Bible for, or for thousands of years that people come back to talk about the covenant of marriage, and I, I agree with that. I believe everything that the Bible says about marriage is found right here in this passage in a sense, but I would say this: this passage is not primarily about marriage it's not pr- primarily about human sexuality. See we, we bring so many things into places of the scripture, and some things are there, but some things begin to overtake the original idea. okay This is, this is about marriage. this is certainly about sexuality there's it's here but it's not the primary purpose. This passage, I would say to you guys, is about human destiny, okay? It's about people made in God's image, put in God's world, who with other people, first, just one other person, but it's gonna get a lot bigger in a minute, with other people, how they are to live on God's terms, okay? (laughs) On God's terms. It's people made in God's image, who are to live in God's world with other people, back to Jan's video, okay? With other people, not just, you know, in marriage and in other relationships, on God's terms, right? We'll get to that in a minute, on God's terms. So, a holy love. First point, this passage tells us, I think this is for all of us, okay? It's, it begins in your work, Okay, it begins in your work. I don't care what you do, whether it's in a classroom, it's in the kitchen, it's in a boardroom, it's in an operating room, whatever the case may be, what this passage tells us is that the purpose of creation and the purpose of your life and of my life as an image bearer of God in the world begins in work. Think about Eden. This is why the Bible, you know, no matter how long you've been in the church, you, you really have to revisit it and you really have to slow down. You have, because we, we carry around in our minds images, whether about various things about the Bible or about Jesus. And, you know, we, we, we swear to our toes that the Bible says this. You ever say, I know it's in there. And you go, well, I don't really think it's in there. You know, the, this is the, the, the one and only place that we get a vision of what's called the Garden of Eden. Okay, this is it. Genesis chapter two. Now, let me tell you what the Garden of Eden from the passage we just read. You can read the first half on your own. It's not about leisure. There's no cocktails here. There's no swimming pool here. I mean, this is not what Eden is about. What Eden is about is about responsibility. In fact, it's about graduated responsibility, as we'll see in just a minute. And what this passage is telling us is this. In God's eyes, in God's world all work is sacred. Everything is sacred. All work is sacred. Listen, we come to church, I hope, those of you who are here and listening, you come to church in a sense, or this is the idea anyway, to be nurtured, right? It's sort of like you know a camp meeting. You know, we're, we're, We gather together. You want to be spiritually nurtured. But the real work of being a Christian does not happen here. Now, this is when you let your hair down. This is when you take a breath. This is when you, you know, pre-COVID, you know, hug your brother and sister and get a good word in, right? This is, this is where you get nurtured. But the real way that we bear the image of God in the world, the real way that we bring about God's purposes, right? Being God's people in God's world with other people, wait for it, on God's terms, is in the world. It's what you do on Monday. And it's so interesting, too, that here, the first thing is gardening, now, we, we, granted, there's not a lot of industry yet in the world in Genesis chapter 2. But maybe it's to make a point, right? That gardening is because what you do doesn't really matter. It becomes the laboratory for God to develop you. Think about this. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He's making the same point. You can write your, if you're a note taker. Colossians chapter three. At the end of a church service, in the churches of the early churches of, of, of the um, New Testament, a majority of people, especially in the early years, I'm talking about the book of Acts, not only were they generally poor, you now things began to evolve and change, even from Jew to Gentile, but many of them were slaves, okay? A third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves, a third of the entire Roman Empire in the days of Jesus. But this is what Paul would say at the end of church. This is a paraphrase of Colossians chapter three. He says, listen, slaves. He, he, that's, there's a number of people he's addressing. Husbands, wives, and he mentions different groups. But then he says, slaves. This is a paraphrase. Go to work tomorrow. But when you go to work tomorrow, keep this in mind. Do whatever you do with all of your heart. Because you, in the work that you're doing, you're serving Jesus Christ, okay? Colossians 3.23. So if that can be said of slaves, if that can be said of a gardener, it can be said of us. But here's the point, guys. Even though he gives Adam this simple work to do, it's a graduated work, right? It's a graduated work. It eventually turns into something else. It becomes the place Work becomes a place where God can develop your muscles. I'm talking about your spiritual faith. Look at verse 15 again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work and take care of it. Okay, so far so good. And the Lord God commanded him, right? See, the commands of God come in here. And and when the commands of God come in, then God is going to develop your faith or develop my faith. I'm gonna decide whether or not I'm going to be able to take whatever I have. Maybe I'm just starting small. Maybe I'm a gardener. Maybe I'm just on the bottom. Of, maybe I'm in the mail room, right? But if it, the question is, how well am I going to exercise my faith here? And how I exercise my faith here, my calling, is going to have everything to do with where I'm going to go next. That's what this passage teaches us, Okay. God says, listen, Adam, I want you, to, I want you to, to take care of the garden. Then he gives him a command. Now, we'll get into this next week, right? This whole thing about the trees and the fruit. But guys, listen, I think I can stand on, on the shoulders of many people. There's nothing, there's nothing special about the, the trees or the fruit. I don't think there's no magical formula here. It's simply a test to see whether or not God's people are going to live life on God's terms, right? Just like a parent and a child. Why don't I, why can't I uh, watch more TV? Because I said so, you know. That's the point right now when you're you're four or seven years old. It's about learning to trust that your parents love you. That's what's going on here. Adam needed to learn, listen, we need to learn how to live on God's terms if we really want to express our purpose. So here's what you see, okay, in, in, in Genesis. Let me say this too, quickly. Pastor Rob, do you believe in a literal Adam and Eve, okay? This is such an interesting season that we live in. I mean, a season. I am going to say this. I do believe in a literal Adam and Eve. Jesus seems to believe one. Paul seems to believe in one in, in, in the New Testament. In fact, in Acts 17, Paul says this, that God created all the nations of the earth from one man and one couple. That's what he says, the New Testament writer, the apostle, the 13th apostle. That tells me alone, there's there's, there's multiple ethnicities, there's only one race. It's called the human race. So in that sense, racism, is racism a sin? Of course racism is a sin, right? If you're a Bible believer, but even beyond that, to even even entertain the idea of racism tells me that there's an ignorance when it comes to what the Bible has to say. There's only one race, but let me say this. Even if you don't believe in literal Adam and Eve, even if you're having a hard time wrapping your minds around it, and I respect that, friends, I do, they are in this passage what we call an archetype. In other words, they're representing humanity. And that's the point I don't want us to lose. Repre- and here's, what, here's how they represent humanity. God gives every single person a calling. Okay? Even the New Testament bears this out. Everybody, children, students, everyone has a calling. Right, and in that calling, we're allowed to exercise a level of freedom. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. He says, "You are free to eat whatever. Listen, go crazy, do what you want." In a minute, we'll see that with the names, naming of the animals. Do what you want. There's a freedom, but then there is also a moral law to direct that freedom. You're, you're free to eat whatever you want, but he commanded them. Do not eat of this tree in this tree. There's a moral and Now see, sometimes people think this, that you know we, we, we focus on, there's, there's a calling, there is a permission, and there's a prohibition. That's, this, is, this is what I see in this one verse. "There's a calling, something to do. There's freedom to exercise within that. Listen, every school teacher shouldn't teach the same. Every musician shouldn't have the same interpretation of music. Every builder shouldn't build the same house. Listen, there's a freedom. You are made in God's image. Part of that is being a creator, right? There's a freedom, but then you need to exercise that freedom, exercise that calling, gardener or doctor or musician or you know, uh, whatever you are that you do for a living within a moral framework. That's the point. But it doesn't mean when it says, thus saith the Lord, the teachings of God, it doesn't, it's not supposed to shut you down. Here's the beautiful teaching here. It actually opens up your opportunities, right? Don't jump ahead to Genesis chapter three. We assume that Adam did what he was told. Adam's doing his thing. He didn't mess with the trees that God told him not to mess with. And guess what happens next? Now the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, okay, and all the birds of the sky. Watch carefully. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever he called them. That was their name. We we, we gloss over that like it's nothing. Think of this. It's one thing to say, go, you know, tend the garden how you want, enjoy the trees, decide how you want to fertilize. Now God says this, okay? There's archetypical truth here, saying something about what it means to be made in the image of God. God says, listen, I did create all the animals, but I want you, Adam. God brings the animals to Adam, and he says, now whatever you want to call them, whatever you want to call them, I'm not gonna give you any instruction, I'm not gonna give you any direction, you name it. Whether it's elephant or cat or cheetah or, or lion, it's up to you and the name that you give these animals, they will have for all the history of the world, okay? This is what it means to be made in the image of God. I want you to join me in, bear, in, in, in making something out of the world. This is what it means, guys, to be made in the image of God. We were joking about this this week in and Jason Harris told me they actually did this with their kids. Jason has a three-year-old daughter. But three years ago, he took his boys, at the time, uh, you know, Andrew and Ethan, who might have been like, you know, seven and four or something, and he, he, he goes, we did this. And we said, boys, what do you want to name your sister? I mean, can you imagine? Think about that, though. At, at four or five or seven years old, to think, listen, they know enough, especially the seven-year-old, that his name is his name. It's very important. You carry your name for the rest of your life, right? And you say, listen, what do you want to name them? Your sister. We can. It's up to you. It's what God's doing. Now, as Jason told me the story, in the end, Jason and Marissa prevailed and they named their daughter Brooklyn, but it was mainly because, you know, Aquaman didn't sound great for a, for a girl, okay? But this is what's happening here, guys. This is what's going on. Listen to Luke 16, 10. Jesus is gonna say, make the point here. It begins in your work. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little is dishonest with much. This is the idea, okay? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? How, do we, God, how does God create a holy love in us? It begins in our work, right? It doesn't matter what you do tomorrow, or the next day. It matters how you do it. But see, if you and I are responsible, as Adam was at least in this passage, God says, okay, you like messing with the trees? How'd you like to name the animals? Okay? How'd you like to name the animals? If you desire to reflect God's image in the world, if you want to reach your full potential as a calling, if I do, look no further than what you're doing tomorrow. Okay? Tomorrow. It begins in your work. Second, to the heart of this message. A holy love, what does this Bible, what does it say? You can't do it alone, okay? You can't do it alone. In verse 18, it's the first time in this story, it's supposed to sort of wake you up and shock you. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now, in one sense, that's a contradiction, Because if you read Genesis chapter one, verse 31, we looked at this uh, last week, or that was last week. It says, God did all this stuff. He created everything, the the, the natural phenomenon and the man and the woman. And he says, and it was not only good, he said that several times, I think five times in Genesis one. He says, it's very good. So why does he here say it's not good? Well, it's an incompleteness of, that surfaces in this present moment, okay? It's not a design flaw, right? Adam, uh, it's not good for man to be alone. It's a design feature, okay? Because God had created Adam and given him something so big to do, okay? This is you and me. He's created a community that represents, that's so big to do. What is that? Not gardening, representing him in the world okay it's so big to do that he needed someone else to do it right and it was only as adam graduated and went from one thing to the next this is the point right god is going to i don't know what the equivalent of naming animals is but the point is god is going to ask more of you god is going to ask more of me so listen i made you in my image I've given you gifts, I've given you talents, I've given you skills, I am in you, I am with you. Now get out there and let's do something together. Let's create something together and in the process of that creation, let's tell the world who I am. But when you get serious about doing that, Adam discovered there was something missing in himself, right? This is the point. You cannot do it alone. Let me say something very quickly about this whole suitable helper as I say, we, we read all our problems and our anxieties into the scripture instead of going to the scripture to see what it has to say to us, okay? Suitable helper, a suitable, what Adam doesn't need here is a personal assistant, okay, that's not what's going on here. At what Adam's, when Adam finally opens his mouth in verse 24, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, what is Adam saying, okay? He's not saying, wow, she looks great with, She's got a great body. you know. I mean, you've heard pastors do this kind of thing before. That's not what he's talking about. When he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, this is a poem, by the way, just the 23rd verse, why it's set off. He's making a statement saying, listen, this wasn't true of the animals. This isn't even true of God. God is, God is something altogether different. God is a unique, um, holy, a very wholly different from us in many ways, and, and you and I walk with God as Adam did. But there was something that God had called Adam to do That even God only couldn't help him The animals couldn't either But when he sees this woman that God has created When he says she's bone of my bones And flesh of my flesh He's saying listen He identifies She's one of my kind Right And in this passage by the way There's absolutely nothing here said Of you know um, Hierarchy Or submission Or these other kinds of things That do come into the Bible later Okay? Because of the curse of sin. But not here. The woman in this passage is man's equal, is man's, is, a, is has someone who has all the capacities that he has, however, with different gifts and skills, right? You know, the, the the sexes are different. Just like people are different. You have the same sex, they're different. Every person is different, but clearly there's a difference. But he's saying, listen, you're one of my kind. And now I, and, and, and there's this sense, almost like the, the end of the uh, the seventh day when God says he rested from all his work, and I mentioned this last week, it doesn't mean that God was tired, he needed a break. What, what, what The word rested, which would, the word sabbat, which becomes the word Sabbath, means a sense of completion, a sense of satisfaction. I mean, God stepped back from that beautiful painting. God stepped back from that beautiful piece of artwork. God stepped back from that beautiful child. Whatever the case may be, he stepped back and he said, Job well done. That sense of satisfaction that we all get from a job well done. Well, see, that's what I think with Adam's happening here. He's been. He's, he, God has given him something to do. God has thrown him into the fire in a sense, knowing that he was over under 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 um, resourced for the job to be a human being in the world, knowing that there was he was going to feel this acute sense of I need some help that even God can't give me. And when Adam came to that place, God puts him to sleep. And he wakes up and says, "I see someone just like me." OK? That's the point. We are created in, in God's image, to live in God's world, waited for it, with other people on God's terms. let me see one other thing, Genesis: 126. It's very important. Then God said. This is, this is to keep in mind when you're reading chapter two. Let us make mankind in our image. Let us. Okay, now. What in the world does that mean? Now, scholars will say later, years later, you know, I mean hundreds and thousands of years later, oh, this is an early reflection of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy. Because why would God say, let us? It's the only time in the, that we have this word plural pronoun especially in the opening gates now I guess I would say you know all these many many moons later that I believe yes because I believe in, that God is one God in three persons this is, this is the, one of the most deep and, 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 and amazing and mysterious teachings of the New Testament the Trinity and I do believe that that's what's happening but clearly Moses didn't know that oh my goodness That was not Moses' point. But what the point is is this, under the inspiration of God. God himself exists in community. Now, we'll never fully understand that. But God himself exists in community. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, talked about the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God himself exists in community. We see that even in the New Testament, as Jesus talks with his father, as the interactions with the spirit, it's, it's, it's a mystery, but the point is this. If God ex- exists in community, a perfect love, then those made in his image must exist in community as well. That's what I think the point is. So you see he tips his hand here in Genesis 1, 2, he says, let us make God in our image. Then as he unpacks Genesis, in Genesis 2, the creation of man and woman, he says, I kind of created them in, with this you know, sort of one before the other so that humanity could understand that there's something missing, as Jan just said, right? We were never meant to do it. She couldn't figure out how to do life on her own, right? This is, what, this is central to what it means to be made in the, in, the, in, the, in the image of God. Listen, this is most, especially true in marriage, but it's not just true in marriage, right? You cannot know yourself, really, outside of intimate community. Now, of course, it's especially in true in marriage. You know, you, you, you've, you've had this kind of experience before you take a picture, maybe with your close friends, or someone takes a picture of you, and then they look at it, and the first thing you say is, That doesn't look anything like me. That doesn't look anything like me. Now, you're the, the, your you're sort of second, to, you know, your acquaintances just, Yeah, you're right, you're right. But see, your wife or your husband or your close friend later will say, Actually, it looks exactly like you, you know. In other words, you're, you're, you don't really know yourself outside of community. And you need people who are like you, but also different who are able to speak into your life. So this is especially true of marriage, the covenant of marriage. But guys, it's true beyond that too. Think, don't forget that Jesus Christ himself was not married. It was the Apostle Paul. And, 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 and this eventually opens up to talk about the whole church itself, right? Love one another as I have loved you. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Speak the truth to one another out of love. So absolutely it's about marriage. You can't do life on your own. Absolutely you need people who can speak truth to you and love. Absolutely people that are married ought to be able to look at each other and complete each other in, in ways to say, listen, I'm here to help you. We are here to do this together. We can represent God because God has designed us to live in community just like he has. Okay? Last. You have to give yourself away. We're gonna take communion. I'm gonna get you ready for that, friends, both here in the room and outside the room. <clears throat> you have to give yourself away. There's so much here, but let me just say a few words. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. This is a moment of, of identification. And yes, it should happen in marriage, and yes, it often happens when people fall in love, but it, listen, it happens with, with with people. It doesn't have to be marriage. The point is you, you 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 look at this passage, if you if you read it as it's written, it's not primarily about sex. You know, I mean in other words, of course that's here in marriage. But the, the big crescendo here is about God giving mankind something significant to do, which there's only one thing here, to bear his image in the world. To say, in a world that's, that's at odds with itself, in a world that's all messed up and jammed up as it was in Moses' days as it is in our day, I want you, friends, to go and to be an alternate community, an alternate society to people who live a different way. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another, okay? By the way that you love one another. That's where this ends. You have to give yourself away, that's where, and this is what happens. He has this great poem, and then he says, this is why, okay, purpose statement. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. This is why. What's the why? Accomplishing God's purpose, being made in his image, being able to see that I can only do this, as Jan said, with other people. Absolutely, it should be true of your spouse but it goes beyond that. Jesus, by the way, will quote um, Matthew 2.24 and Matthew, in, in Matthew 19. Jesus quotes this verse. Listen, so does the apostle Paul. Now listen carefully. I'm throwing a lot in here. Ephesians 5.31-32. This is the biggest, I'm just reading one verse, two verses, but this is the biggest teaching on marriage in the entire New Testament, but it's a commentary on this verse. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Paul quotes Genesis two twenty four. But then he says this, this is a profound mystery. Okay, this giving are their selves away. You have to read all of the Ephesians passage. But I am talking about Christ and the church. He spends about 10 verses unpacking this great truth of Genesis 2.24 about a man leaving his mother and father. The assumption is a wife leaving her mother and father turning towards each other and being united in self-giving love. And he says, listen, isn't this a beautiful thing? This is a mystery. But guys, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Adam will not fully live, here's the point, until he loves by giving himself away to another on his own level. Okay, God was in the passage here, but God says, "Listen, you need me absolutely. I'm central, but you're going to need someone else—bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh." to, T-O-O, and you're not only going to have to need—you're not only going to have to um, open yourself up to them you're gonna to have to give yourself to them and allow them to give yourself to you if you're really going to be able to demonstrate the kind of love that the world needs to see. I hope I'm making sense. That's why Paul says, um, what I'm talking about here, this kind of love, this self-giving love, it's at the heart of the Christian life. It's, yes, it should be exemplified in marriage because marriage is, is the smallest church. It's the smallest community. It's the smallest high-level commitment. But it ought to be demonstrated in, in the church of Jesus Christ in general. Right? Because it's only when people, listen, people aren't going to be changed because of a Bible verse. People aren't going to be changed because of a church service. These are all good things. They're going to be changed when they, he says, they will know you are my disciples when they see how you love one another. That's the key. Right? We are to be God's image in God's created world with other people. On God's terms. It begins in your work. You have to realize you can't do it alone, but ultimately it's about giving yourself away. Let me tell you about Jesus. He looked all the way into your heart. This is what it means to be a Christian. That's what Paul's getting at. He looked all the way into my heart. Now, even those of you who have been married in this room for many, many years, if you're honest, you'd say there's still some things that, you know, you're still discovering things about your spouses after years, okay? Unless you're just one person with another one person. And you're laughing here, right? You know, it's, 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 an, it's, an, it's, it's a strange thing. You discover things. Some of these are benign, like I didn't know you liked this kind of food, but other things are not benign. Like I didn't know you, you know, you, you had these strong feelings. I had no idea you felt this way. Point is... But Jesus looked into your heart, looked into my heart, wait for it, and he loved you anyway, okay? That's what Paul is talking about. And it's only when you and I can do that in the world, little ways and small ways, that we show the world a better way, amen? So we're gonna close this service by taking communion. Friends out uh In internet world grab your um, elements if you have some if you want to join us I hope that you are now let me say this the I know this is strange it's not going to be forever Uh, I'm told Kim tells me if you take this and bend it down first kind of crack it because there's two there's actually two um, tear offs. so if you crack it okay it makes it ten times easier then you just pull the first one back I hope that makes sense And out comes this small wafer. And then there's another one, okay? Does that make sense, guys? And I know this is a little bit of a hassle, but it keeps us safe and sound. Amen? So, let us share in in communion. What does this represent? Jesus looked into your heart. Jesus looked into my heart and saw all of the... Things that we don't show and that we don't even know ourselves. And he said, I love you anyway. Right? And he's able to do that because he gave his life, the ultimate self giving of his life on the cross. He took the bread on the night he was uh, betrayed and he broke it, just a loaf of bread, and he said, typifying, they didn't perhaps understand it in the moment, this is my body, right? Which is given for you or will be tomorrow night on the cross this is how much I love you amen let's eat together when supper was ended he took the cup this was the Passover meal by the way but Jesus was giving it new meaning changed it in one one night the whole thing and he took the cup and he passed it around and he said in other words I'm going to be the Passover meal I'm the ultimate Passover lamb. And he said, took the cup and he said, this is my blood that represents a new covenant, right? In that that I'm offering for people to the whole world for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Remember this whenever, uh, remember me when you drink it. Drink together. Let me pray for us. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. What a privilege to um, just be here, even in the midst of this, um, you know, season of pandemic. To just be with my brothers and sisters and friends, and to hear your word and to share in this, um, you know, uh, ordinance that's been happening for thousands of years, where we can come and be reminded afresh in 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 a tactile way of the of the gospel that you left heaven in a sense. You, you, you um, left your father and were united with your bride in a manner of speaking. You made a commitment um, all the way to the cross that we might know a kind of self-giving love that would not only change our hearts but maybe change our lives as we walk out into a world to try to live more like you. And we, I just pray that you'd help us to do that even today, and help us also, Lord, as we as we go wherever we go tomorrow. Help us to know, Lord, that you are you are there. Our jobs are sacred, whatever we're doing, um, and Lord, we are called to do this with others so that we might live like you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So.